Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. Our full panel is here, which means Rebecca Lynch is sitting across from me from the Wisconsin Working Families Party. Rebecca, good to see you. Good to be here, Matt. And as always, Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Good day, everyone. So folks, we got a busy show we have a number of things we want to talk about that have been breaking on the state, including um, Joint Finance Committee continues uh, to do its work. Uh, we got some Foxconn news, and we'll be joined by Ryan Billingham from the Wisconsin Conservation Voters. We're also going to be joined by Citizen Action Co-op member Trisha Zunker, who has uh, helped pass a really exciting referendum in Marathon County, uh, making the first or excuse me, the second Monday of October, Indigenous Peoples Day. And then we'll close the show. We're going to have a talk about Beto O'Rourke for president. So let's get started. A lot of things happening in Wisconsin this week. And yesterday, news broke on Foxconn. So we must talk about Foxconn. There's actually a couple of pieces of news this week. I want to get um, some reaction from uh, the panel one is uh, Foxconn apparently is redefining what it means to be a Wisconsin company. Uh, actually, last Friday, news leaked in the New York Times, I think Clean Wisconsin was involved in this, uh, that the EPA staff had, been, had vigorously objected to the region with which Foxconn is uh, being located being exempted from stricter air policy rules. We've actually talked about this over a year ago when it happened, um, but now there's more information that reveals just what a completely politically motivated this decision this was by the Trump administration and uh, Governor Walker. Um, so panel, uh, obviously there's nothing shocking here, but um, Foxconn, what do you know? Uh, another promise appears to go... What strikes me is that the Foxconn, as Representative Brostoff calls it, is like a master class in all the things that are wrong with the way we do economic development all the time. It's just like that on steroids. And every new story that comes out, yes, is not surprising, and yet is also egregious and is like almost another chapter in that story, right? So we get to see like every couple of weeks, like, you know, in, in slow motion, like here's another thing that's wrong with how we do economic development. And so, you know, I'll leave it to Robert to maybe dig in more on the EPA stuff and also um, on the on the not Wisconsin businesses. But just to speak on that second part briefly, I mean, this is something that um, I, I believe is not unique to you know Foxconn and economic development deals. I think that like a lot of numbers are fudged when we people talk about how many jobs, how many Wisconsinites are getting those jobs, how many Wisconsin businesses are are benefiting. I mean, I saw it all the time in New York and so this is obviously an extreme and egregious example, but it is um it's something that that it's good that public is getting educated about, I suppose. Robert Otis Elevators Farmington, Connecticut. That's that's Wisconsin. Come on, I think uh, we're being a little tough on Foxconn, aren't we? <laughs> oh well, I'm going to get to that. Uh, maybe we are. Um, it's a question of who to blame here. But um, I want to second Rebecca's thoughts. I think economic development, which has only really grown up as a major thing that government does since the '70s, actually since the decline of the middle class, quite frankly, um, is the, probably the most corrupt area of all American government. 
and that almost every one of these deals that I've ever seen is a pack of lies, and people get used to the packs of lies. And since this is a $4 billion, possibly the worst economic development deal in, in American history, according to many experts, of course it's good that the lies are going to be at a higher level and even more outrageous. And just remember all the business leaders who made all these promises, and they're still here. Mark Hogan, the head of WEDAC, Tim Sheehy, the head of the Milwaukee Metropolitan Area of Commerce, the people at Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce, all in the 11-hour hearing of the straight face promised all these things, these all be uh, Wisconsin companies. But what's interesting is you actually have to get to the fact that this is a wink, wink, nod. The only, th the only way this could have been worse if Scott Walker had been reelected and he's in front of a smiling in front of a with a ribbon cutting in front of Wisconsin first sign as this is announced, because that's what would have happened if he was governor. But uh, Foxconn's response is somewhat credible to me. It says under the definition of the Wisconsin first program, these qualify. So... And that, and that by these same definitions, uh, according to the G Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, Rick Rommel, Home Depot, McDonald's would also qualify as Wisconsin-based companies. And you know what? It's credible to me that the business leaders who use their lobbying and political money to create these laws actually create them this way because they're not really interested in what they tell the public they're interested in. They're interested in getting the money for their fellow corporate leaders and business leaders and all the job promises and everything else, they're all just the way to get your money. Yeah, and the other big thing before we go on this, just to clarify on the EPA situation, essentially these emails that were released show that the staff really objected to this idea that we would limit areas of southeastern Wisconsin that would fall under pollution controls. This is a huge, huge issue, right? Because one, obviously the air in Foxconn travels and this is going to impact well beyond just the immediate vicinity of Foxconn. The other thing is we know Foxconn will become one of the larger polluters immediately. And the notion, again, this is the anti-science mixing with just sort of this corporatist approach to everything that what's good for business is automatically good for everybody else. Um, you know, this just... Uh, lays bare that this was actually a total sham in terms of what went on with the EPA and why Foxconn. By the way, it's important for our listeners to know why this is important to Foxconn is it, it means that they did not have to install or would not have to install more expensive uh, technology to, to make the air that they um, send out uh, cleaner. So I beg to differ with you a little bit, Matt. Go for there it. is a surprise here. Uh -huh. There are still scientists at the EPA employed, <laughs> and they're still writing emails. And I don't know how Donald Trump and then Scott Walker with the State Department of Natural Resources haven't gotten them all fired so that Clean Wisconsin, kudos to Clean Wisconsin, can do open records requests or uh, freedom of information requests in this case and uh, receive emails where scientists are saying they're in disbelief. And in addition, the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources found that there'd be a huge increase by the way, in climate gases, pollution from Foxconn. Uh, but those future emissions weren't taken into account as part of the EPA's analysis. <laughs> Think about that. And even with that, you have the scientists sending these emails. So kudos to Clean Wisconsin, which also focuses on science and shows that science still matters even in Trump and America and Walker, Wisconsin. So we are going to quickly 
switch topics to Joint Finance Committee. Um, later in the show, we'll be joined by Ryan uh, uh, Billingham from Wisconsin Conservation Voters. But before we get to Ryan, it's worth mentioning that also the UW system budget um, came up this week. And, well, let's just say um, the system president, Cross, uh, Ray Cross, Someone who we've talked about on the show who has shamelessly bent, shilled for Foxconn, <laughs> bent over backwards, yes. not only on Foxconn, Robert, but yes. just has yes. always sort of pulled punches throughout the entire, you know, throughout his entire tenure. Really tried to work with this legislature. Really thought that they were going to get their resources, and you know, has you know, I'll just say it. I think has been really weak throughout in terms of really advocating for the system. Just kind of assumed because the legislative leaders had told them that they thought that the budget request uh, that was that Evers had and that the UW system was looking for was reasonable, and uh, and and then of course uh, cut cut them out from the knees and you know basically took away the revenue that they would need to implement, continue to implement this freeze on, on tuition. So not a shocker there, but like, it just amazes me that Cross was even uh, shocked by this, <laughs> this is the actions He's of the Republicans. There's gambling at Rick's Cafe. <laughs> yes. And, and quite frankly, this is all part and parcel of a lot of things. Uh, Walker's very sleazy, but devious tuition freeze. Uh, which is a way to hollow out the UW system. And they don't believe in having a strong UW system, period. But it does go back to years and years of Democrats not dealing with tuition inflation ever and just giving the UW what it wanted. Uh, so this is this is all the chickens coming home to roost here, quite frankly, both Democrat and Republican. Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned it. It is a bipartisan problem. We have not adequately funded education, period, and of course, just pushed off the expenses, as you mentioned, That's Robert, in the early aughts. We've also let universities build all sorts yep. of other things that aren't about teaching kids and increase their cost base. So we've not, like we do in healthcare, looked at the tuition inflation, seeing which is for students and which is something else that actually is held, you know, desired by others, like big businesses. So. With that, we're going to take a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Uh, before we go, though, we do want to mention, uh, we talk about our producer, Brian Wooldridge, a lot on the show. It is his birthday. We're really happy about that. Brian is 70 years old. No, I'm just kidding. I, Brian's... <laughs> 30, 39. Years young today. He doesn't look it. He's, uh, you know, he's got the, the youth of a rock star. He's which... ageless. <laughs> but we want to thank Brian. Uh, he makes this podcast happen every week, right? It, there, a lot of work goes into putting this thing together. And Brian's the one who not only records the show, but then goes and edits and makes us sound semi-competent, right? Which is really a challenge. Um, so we really appreciate that. Uh, happy birthday, Brian. We hope happy you birthday, Brian. We hope you enjoy your day and uh, enjoy your upcoming weekend with your family. With that, we're going to take a break. We're going to listen to the Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So we have a very special guest. Um, we are joined by Ryan Billingham. He's the communications director at Wisconsin Conservation Voters. Ryan, thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Well, we are happy to have you. We wish it was under better circumstances. But uh, this week, Joint Finance Committee 
took up a number of uh, issues uh, related to the DNR and related to our environment, and we wanted to have you on to talk more about it since uh, Wisconsin Conservation Voters has been really leading the charge, particularly in fighting these large corporate farms called CAFOs. A number of our um, co-op members have been involved in local fights around that. And what's unique this week is there was an effort to try to regulate and better uh, make sure that we had the ability to have oversight uh, of these CAFOs. Uh, and it looks like that uh, did not fly in the Joint Finance Committee. And uh, tell us more about what happened this week. Well, sure. So the Joint Finance Committee took up several of Governor Evers' budget initiatives that dealt with clean drinking water. Unfortunately, the end result uh, was the GOP lawmakers stripping out about $43 million of what Governor Evers had proposed, and that included um, less scientists at the DNR. We're going to add scientists. It also um, included increasing fees for CAFOs. It also included replacing wells for people who have contaminated wells. So they had already stripped out uh, protections or money for lead protection. Um, so all said, about $43 million stripped away from uh, what, what Governor Ebers had proposed. And tell us from uh, Wisconsin conservation voters' perspective why taking these away is so, so critically important, why this is bad that this was done by, by the Republicans on JFC. Well, I think the first thing we have to, to talk about is the scale and scope of the crisis, the drinking water crisis here in Wisconsin. You know, as far as these as these CAFOs grow in size and number um, and in production, more milk equals more manure. Uh, we're just being inundated with with manure pollution. The stats are, are incredible. Thirty three percent in Kiwanee County, 42 percent of wells tested in Iowa, Grant and Lafayette, 40 percent in Armenia and Port Edwards. One in three in Rock in Rock County um, wells with nitrates. Um, so it, it's an extensive problem across the state um, that has only gotten worse in the last eight years. And so it's important now um, that all parties acknowledge the crisis. In fact, Speaker Robin Voss is um, on a as a task force as well. So this is a moment we we figure it's a once in a generation moment to actually solve the problem in a comprehensive way rather than just sticking band-aids on it here and there. Ryan, this is Rebecca with the Wisconsin Working Families Party. Um, Can you talk a little bit more? I I just want to first echo what you said that it strikes me as remarkable just how much worse and worse and worse and worse it's gotten over the last several years and really hitting a point of of a crisis for a lot of communities and the work that you all have done is just like so critical in terms of getting it out into the bloodstream um candidates talking about it uh communities organizing around it uh but i was wondering if you could just like to to pull on what you just ended with uh right there what does like comprehensive um, reform look like to to tackle this problem in like a holistic way? Like in your perfect world, if you could have everything you wanted, what what would that look like? I can't kind of think about like the, the, the our, perfect our, world when we don't live in a perfect world. Yeah. <laughs> totally fair. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, go so, ahead. Well, let me take it back to what, what Tony Evers in his budget proposed. So it's increasing fees for CAFOs. That would create five new positions at the DNR to oversee those CAFOs, which are currently under, totally understaffed, according to science and to uh, uh, legislative audit report. That would bring the DNR up to like recommended staff to permit ratio, and that was identified in 2016. It would increase the amount of money available to replace contaminated wells to $800,000 annually. 
And in, in a very strange rule, it would also allow drinking water wells, not just wells for livestock to qualify for replacement. Uh, so lower limits, uh, we, we, want, we want lower limits for nitrates and arsenic levels in, in drinking water before they be, impact human health. Um, and then we want to increase funding for cons county conservation staff. And those are the folks, the boots on the grounds at the health departments and in, in the conservation programs who implement really critical water quality programs. So those are, you know, four steps and, and four items that, um, Governor Evers also identified and put into his budget, and that's what's been stripped away by GFC. You know, we know this is a big issue out in communities, right? I mean, uh, Kevin Kane on our staff is building a new driftless, leading the building of a new driftless organizing co-op, and it's hugely hot in all these rural counties. Of course, water's huge issue in Milwaukee, where we're sitting, uh, because of, of lead poisoning, right, and which is which has not been addressed, and I'm sure it is other places in the state. And so you have public demand for it. You have clear scientific reasons to do it. You have the audit bureau report, and you don't have that much money, really. We're talking about seven hundred eighteen thousand dollars over two years, right? And and they won't do it, but they're campaigning on it, right? They have that water task force, which has decided not to talk about lead and which is avoiding Milwaukee, and seems to just be a horse and pony show. Uh, maybe you can help me out. Am I wrong to say that they just want to tell people they're for dealing with, with water quality and water pollution and then not really do it? Well, that's that's a question. Um, the way we view it is we've been working on water for years, uh, drinking water, clean drinking water. It's been our primary focus for at least the last four years. And that's because we listen to people across the state. We hold, listen, we hold listening sessions and time and time again, it was, you know, we care about our drinking water. We feel like it's positive that it's been recognized on both sides of the aisle that there is a drinking water crisis. Now, if they don't come up with actual solutions, obviously it's, it's for naught. This is the one moment where we have everybody at the table. And so if there are just more Band-Aid fixes, more studies, more talk, it will be a failure. And it'll damage you know, Wisconsin's public health for generations to come. Ryan, what strikes me is that you know, you, you mentioned like a number of things in the governor's budget that's been stripped by the JFC that would impact things moving forward um, in terms of, you know, lowering the limits of what's acceptable, the staff to permit ratio, et cetera. But, you know, one of the things you mentioned in terms of mitigating the damage that is has been done and is happening right now is the replacement of wells. And so I just wonder... Um, you know, that's stripped from the JFC. You know, we're fighting to get it back in. We believe and hope that it will be. But if, if it weren't, right, if we move forward out of this budget without that that component, the replacement of wells, what does that mean for communities that are currently um, confronted by, like, the contaminated water and, like, what, like how, how does that work for them between now and, let's say, next year's budget? Well, from an individual perspective, it can be devastating from a financial standpoint. I mean, uh, replacing a well can cost upwards of $20,000. Um, and sometimes if you replace that well and you, you know, put the straw in the same dirty water, you got to do it again. And so it, 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 it can cause huge problems. And I think obviously you can't sell a house that has manure running out of its taps. Um, so for communities like that, it, it leaves them really high and dry as far as you know having to fix a problem they had they, they, a problem they didn't create um, that was created by by other people's actions. So um, it can be it can be a high price for for individuals. Hey Ryan, can you say a little about the role of the 
business lobby and all this, WMC and others. I know Wisconsin Conservation Voters has put out information on that to uh, to supporters. And I'm kind of looking, we talked in a, another segment about the pollution permits for Foxconn, right, and, and, and the EPA suppressed emails that Clean Wisconsin turned up. And Scott Manley, the head of WMC, talked about command and control approach to regulation. And the more communities and more businesses they can get tangled up in their regulatory spider web, the better from their perspective. So is this... The business community just thinking that we that all that matters is profit, and uh, this weird assertion that you don't actually need our democratic government in order to preserve a public good like clean water. Is there something fundamental here about the nature of our our corporate community here in Wisconsin? Right. You know, I've been hearing that argument since I started doing this work um, from the Dairy Business Alliance, and um, if that were the case, we would have clean drinking water. We don't have clean drinking water. In fact, we have a crisis across the state. And there's nothing more important than clean drinking water. So in order to protect that, we have to make sure that business is run in a way that doesn't pollute our water. That's the bottom line. Well, Ryan, I got to say, you're, you are taking a very level-headed approach to this. I find this, I'm, I'm outraged, and I think a lot of our listeners are. What should they do if they want to push back against this? What you know, let, let let our listeners know how they can get involved. What should they be doing, and also how can they get involved with uh, Wisconsin conservation voters? Well, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is our legislators have to hear every single day what we expect of them, um, and they have to understand how people are affected. They have to hear stories. They have to hear people's stories of their own um, pollution stories, their own heartbreak, their own financial. Uh, ruin all the stories that are out there they need to be put in front of the people that are making these decisions day in and day out we have a lot of opportunities for people to do that you know in a simple way on our website conservationvoters.org um, where you can also sign up to get updates on all this we you know we have a pretty robust email we are always have something some action you can take regarding a variety of issues but yeah i mean if there's one thing that i would recommend it was go to you know go to these hearings go to the water test quality task force hearings, tell people their stories and call your legislators, um, call them every day, you know, um, tell them what you expect that you expect clean drinking water for yourself and for, for all of your fellow Wisconsinites. Well, Ryan, we thank you for taking the time to join us. And of course, um, we're very thankful to have Wisconsin conservation voters in the state speaking up on behalf of our environment. Uh, thank you very much. And folks, please get involved. If you are, have a contaminated well, if you're facing this, make sure your legislators hear about you and get out to those task force meetings. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. And with that, we got to take a break. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are really happy to have our next guest, Trish, Trisha Zunker. She is a member of our organizing co-op, but more importantly, she's an amazing activist and uh, had a big accomplishment this week um, in, in Marathon County uh, where they passed a couple of resolutions, uh, and one of them is going to make the second Monday in October Indigenous Peoples Day. Trisha, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Well, we're thrilled to. This is we always love when people get involved in local democracy and move our <laughs> move our state forward, which you have done. So, tell our listeners a little bit more about 
uh, about the two resolutions and um, what they do, but then also uh, where you'd like to go with this. Okay, well, I really just worked on one resolution, so right. I'll only Let talk us to know that then. one today. <laughs> um, and that is the resolution recognizing Indigenous Peoples Day countywide, and that is going to be the second Monday in October. Um, but to backtrack a little, how this started, uh, originally I worked with Mayor Milky in the city of Wassa for a Wassa proclamation. And then during those efforts, it dawned on me that this doesn't have to be limited to the city of Wassa. I talked to some county board members um, around the same time. And then beginning in December, I met with the Diversity Commission Affairs, um, or Diversity Affairs Commission, rather, um, and brought the idea for a countywide resolution. And there was immediate support. It just took a little bit of time to draft the resolution. Uh, we started as a basis um, using the, the city proclamation, but then um, wanted to give it more of a historical feel countywide, make it specific to Marathon County. So that took a little bit of a process, and then also just making sure that we could all meet. There were a few times when quorum wasn't met for that particular committee, um, I contacted other local natives in the community to come speak. We, you have to sign up in advance. So um, Dylan Prescott, who is um, very active in the, the native community locally here, he also came and spoke in support of the resolution. Um, Supervisor Rosenberg spoke out in support last Thursday. Then the actual vote was this past Tuesday, where public comment is not permitted, but I still went because, of course, I wanted to see how the vote would go. Um, and before, it, it was on the consent agenda, but um, Supervisor Zhang pulled it out of the consent agenda along with um, his other resolution so that those would be voted on separately so that if anybody did vote against it, it you can identify, you know, how that vote went specific to that resolution. And um, before the Indigenous Peoples Day resolution was voted on, uh, Supervisor Zhang spoke passionately in support, and um, Supervisor Lang also spoke in support. And there wasn't any comment against, and it passed unanimously. And it does recognize Indigenous Peoples Day as the second Monday in October. So now we do have that in the city of Wassa through Mayor Milky's proclamation, and um, now for the county. Talk more about why this is so important. And I know, you know, in Wausau, there's been over, certainly over the last couple of years, a lot of discussion, both uh, some of the stuff that has happened at the city council, but also the county level that has really surfaced this issue in terms of Wausau trying to become a much more diverse, open uh, place that, uh, you know, reflects the the, the world we're, we're moving into and, and why not only this is important in Wausau, but other parts of the state. Embracing the diversity of the original inhabitants, Native peoples, Indigenous peoples, and recognizing that there are different languages, customs, traditions, governments, sovereignty, um, and having appreciation for that. Um, there is the aspect of educating the greater community. Um, there's a lot of people that don't even really understand that Indigenous people, Native people still exist. And if I may, I'll just share a short quote with you that I shared at the county board last week from, and I, I took this from um, journalist Rebecca Nagel. She wrote this last year, and it was published on Indigenous Peoples Day last year. But it's, invisibility is the modern form of racism against Native people. We are taught that racism occurs when a group is seen as different, as other. 
We are not taught that racism occurs when a group of people is not seen at all. The lack of exposure to realistic, contemporary, and humanizing portrayals of Native people creates a deep and stubborn unconscious bias in the non-Native mind. Rooted in this unconscious bias is the idea that Native people are not real or even human. The cruel irony is that Native people survived removal, forced assimilation, and attempted genocide only to be told that they didn't, only to live in a country that pretends they no longer exist, end quote. So I shared that last week because um, Native people, we deal with a lot of different forms of racism, if you will. It's either, you know, being this stereotype or caricature, we see that with the racist mascots that are still found as acceptable. Um, I don't know if you uh, recall, but recently there were um, there was a school board candidate video that surfaced and was circulating that Absolutely. seemed to mock I... native dancing. Yep. Yes, and you know I was I was pretty vocal about that, um, and it, which you know took a personal toll, but I couldn't be silent about it. It's not okay. But when people aren't educated when they don't realize, hey, that's not funny, there's something that is to be respected there, you know, um, honoring and respecting other people isn't a bad thing. Um, I mean, and it's, it's better for the community as a whole. I just think that we as a community, a greater community, can do more. Achievement is linked to empowerment, and empowerment is linked to developing communities that respect diversity. And this resolu resolution certainly signifies a start. So I brought up that um, quote regarding invisibility because that's kind of the other spectrum that we deal with in this community. Maybe we are considered the smallest percentage of, you know, minority population. That's that's what I'm told. Um, but I don't see why that makes a difference. We can still recognize and appreciate Indigenous peoples, um, and certainly this resolution is a great start to that. Uh, Trisha, this is Rebecca from the Wisconsin Working Families Party. That is um, a really incredible story that you told. It's so exciting. Congratulations on your success. Um, I know that we only have like a couple minutes left here, but I was wondering if you might just spend like a quick minute telling us your story. Like, how do you get to be woman on the street to someone who's trying to pass a resolution um, to be so civically engaged? Um, what else have may have you done um, to be civically engaged in the past? I know that Matt mentioned to me before the show that you're a Citizen Action co-op member, so no, you're you're involved with Citizen Action, but how else are you involved in like, how did you decide to be, like I said, so civically engaged? Well, um, to summarize it in the one minute that you gave me, <laughs> it's really hard to say. Um, I'll tell you, you know, I, I am originally from Wausau. Um, I moved away for a good number of years, pursuing my degree, both UW-Madison and my law degree at UCLA, returned back home to the community. Um, it, it just became more of a thing of, uh, I have to speak up. I have a voice. I don't know if you know this, but the Ho-Chunk Nation, Ho-Chunk, we are the people of the big voice. And I do believe that um, I have my ancestors, you know, coming through me, and I have to speak um, for those that couldn't and for maybe those that can't, that don't feel comfortable even now. And, um, you know, this isn't the only arena where I'm active. I'm also on the ACLU of Wisconsin Board of Directors, and even within that, I'm on the executive committee as the attorney member. Um, and I'm also, um, you might know, I'm also locally serving in a, a position locally as well um, because I, I, I became concerned about, um, you know, our students making sure that each and everyone is treated equally and with dignity, and that prompted me to, to pursue that, that um, seat as well. So it, it, it's more of just an internal, like, I can't sit on the sidelines. Um, 
I feel that I do have a voice that I can use it. And I'm not trying to sound like, you know, some kind of crazy savior complex or anything. That's not it. Um, I follow what I feel and that's, that's what I've been doing. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Actually, we've been following you from afar. We're super impressed with how you are willing to speak up when things need to be uh, spoken Um, and the conversation uh, that's being driven in the Wausau area by yourself, other folks that you've mentioned, Mary Dow on the city council um, is impressive. It is the kind of leadership the state needs. And we're absolutely thrilled uh, that that you're out there doing this work because it's fundamentally important and we need more folks like you in other communities uh, doing the same thing. So to that end, <clears throat> uh, for folks who would like to maybe do this in their community, uh, wh- what, what do you have to say to them? How can they get in touch with you or uh, what would be the next steps for them? Well, they're, t- they're completely free to reach out to me. My email is trisha.dunker at gmail.com. Um, really starting at the local level, if there's something somebody wants to pursue, you go to your elected officials. Um, and if you hear no, don't take that no. <laughs> pursue it again. Try again. Um, I, not that I heard a whole lot of no's, but I have in other arenas. I do serve my people, the Ho-Chunk Nation, in an elected capacity, and I've had to um, try to get funding for law libraries in all our communities, and I was told no, you know, year after year until finally I got yes, and then now I'll, we have law libraries in all our communities. So um, I give that just as an example that just because you hear no once, go back and try again. But that's what I would suggest is um, getting involved, reaching out to your local officials, trying to find like-minded people. Um, I do appreciate your comments um, that you've kind of noted some of my work because I'll tell you, it does take a personal toll. Sometimes speaking up and standing alone, it, 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 it's not the greatest feeling. There is a feeling of loneliness there, but it, you know, for the greater good, things have to be done. So I do appreciate your comments. Well, Tricia, we really appreciate that you took the time to join us today and tell us about uh, the work you've been doing and others have been doing in the Wausau area and uh, likely to spread. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Have a great day. And with that, we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are going to talk Democratic presidential primary candidates. So last week we started with Elizabeth Warren. This week, Beto O'Rourke. And we have given our listeners an opportunity to join us if they support the candidate we're going to talk about. Unfortunately, nobody took us up on Beto O'Rourke. And that includes putting out a Facebook post trying to get somebody to speak up for Beto. So we are going to tackle it as a panel here, talk about Beto. Robert, I'm going to kick it to you to give us a, a summary of your thoughts on Beto O'Rourke. Before we do that, I do want to point out in the horse race aspect, um, Beto is someone who is polling at anywhere from 3 to 5 6% in any given number of polls if you go on real clear politics. So Beto would be someone who would qualify for the new Democratic uh, Party uh, debate standards, which this week were jumped up to 2%, and I think you got to have uh, like a hundred and some odd thousand donors. Uh, Robert, Beto O'Rourke. So, and Matt, maybe you have a speculation as to why no one stepped up. It could be. I I do. I have one. (laughs) Perhaps it's like people who like Justin Bieber's music. There's a certain embarrassment to say that you're a Beto person. Boom. Give us some top stuff on Beto. So, since 
and we can always revisit these candidates since we don't have someone who volunteered. Last week for Elizabeth Warren, we had both uh, Senator Larson very doing a very good job with Elizabeth Warren and also our own Rebecca Lynch here across from me also doing a very good job with Elizabeth Warren. So let me do the positive case for Beto. And by the way, I'll, I'll say this. You guys can all hammer me on Facebook or by email. <laughs> At this point in the race, there are four candidates that I personally think I could potentially support, i.e. they have not disqualified themselves. Doesn't mean another one not in that group could qualify themselves. And he's one of them, which will surprise a lot of you, and I will explain why. But before I say the why of what he would do, let me point out that since we're trying to beat Donald Trump, this is an extremely talented politician. This is a guy who won, I mean, the political talent, a phenom. He won a congressional race. He had no busy business winning against an entrenched incumbent. And then he almost beat in Texas, a deep red place, Ted Cruz. And so this guy in an, in an off-year election, so this guy is an incredible talent. Now, the Peter principle is true in politics. We, we're promoted to the level of our incompetence. It's possible his talent is limited, is capped out, and that he can't be an effective presidential candidate. But he has to be taken seriously, and he has a huge national fundraising base. So here are the things in his favor. I think the biggest thing in his favor that uh, uh, kind of separates him from the, the, the more mainline Democrat candidates uh, that take a lot of corporate money, Joe Biden being the, the one that most prominent, he doesn't take all the corporate money and the PAC money, and he is funded by small donations, and he campaigns on the fact that our government has been corrupted by the way campaigns are financed. So whether he's right on issues, that is fundamentally important, and that does divide him off from a traditional kind of Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, Biden kind of line of Democratic pres presidential candidates. So that's one thing. Second thing is uh, he has a very – the biggest issue facing us overall is climate, and he has a really strong climate plan that would actually meet the Paris Climate uh, Accord targets and have a 50 percent reduction in greenhouse emissions by 2030 and 100 percent by 2050 and has a plan for that. And that distinguishes him from very mainline candidates as well. Uh, and by the way, we all know that Bernie Sanders helped push things to the left. So candidates like Beto are possible because of Bernie. Let me just flag that in what he did in 2016. Uh, third, he is his health care plan is is underrated. And I think this is going to be appreciated more as we go forward. There really are two pathways to universal health care out there. And we're used to talking about the one, Medicare for all, which to the public means just that health care is guaranteed. But to progressive activists means Canadian single-payer system and you're banning private insurance, which is not what all the European countries do, to, point, to be pointed out. And there are other paths, and there are, and we'll talk about this in future, future Battleground Wisconsin's, political perils to trying to do that very quickly as far as whether you could even politically do it and what the backlash would be of taking health care away from 155 million people all at once, Okay. Now, what Beto supports is not a weak public option, not just for opening up Medicare to a couple people, additional people, a few people at, at their own cost. It's the Medicare for America plan developed by um, Rosa DeLauro and um, Jan Schakowsky, and that is a very robust public option that makes Medicare available to all employers, all individuals at a very, very good price, much better than the Affordable Care Act. 
and would, in my opinion, and, and, and fills all the holes in Medicare and includes long-term care and is fully funded, which you cannot say of Sanders Sanders' bill or the House bill by Representative Pramila Jayapal, which are not funded, and he is supporting that. And that actually could end up being a more viable path because it's more passable, but if you actually did it as strong as the bill is drafted, it would put private health insurance out of business without outlawing it. And it would uh, give employers an incredible incentive to move on to it because the deal for employers would be 8% of your payroll and you're in and you don't have to worry about health care, which I got to tell you, as, as we're a small employer citizen action, and this is true of any big employer as well, is an unbelievable deal. And so I just want to point out that now the question with Beto, and he's good in immigration, so the question with Beto is this, is he a politician and, he's, and he has all these progressive positions and you can't really believe him, or is he actually a very strong progressive and uh, would be a strong progressive president and is being underrated by uh, progressive activists who, are, who me among them, are, are get, get more attracted to Bernie and to Elizabeth? Um, well, I'll say on the on the democracy front, you know, you mentioned where he's at on campaign finance. I'd also add that he's someone who's in favor of term limits and has like self-imposed term limits. So he said I'd only be in Congress for a certain amount of time. And if he won the Senate, he said I'd only be in the Senate for a maximum of 12 years. And that was uh, the basis by which he did not support Nancy Pelosi over Ryan, um, Tim Ryan, uh, just like we need new leadership, like we should have term limits. And so I think that's like a really interesting thing as well about him. And just like a third thing I would note about how he thinks about democracy and public service is that he had monthly town halls as a member of Congress and was like very available and engaged in a way that very few members of the Wisconsin congressional delegation are. So I think those are interesting points. I mean, to the question that you posed at the end of that, uh, Robert, about is he truly a progressive or not? I mean, I think he has gone to great pains to not call himself a progressive. He says he doesn't like labels. Um, you know, I think he is, he's trying to, I, I, and this makes sense as someone who's trying to run statewide in Texas, right? That he's someone who, you know, is more in the mold of trying to talk about bipartisanship and like bringing folks together on both sides of the aisle than revving up the base. Um, you know, I think what will be interesting to me, I want to hear what Matt thinks, um, but what would be interesting to me is, you know, as you mentioned, he's a political phenom, really talented candidate. We've got the first debates coming up, and I think that's an opportunity for many of these candidates to shine. We said it last week about Elizabeth Warren. I think it'll be really interesting to see how Beto does on that debate stage with, with these other candidates. And according to press reports, because his poll numbers were sagging a bit, you know, Biden's come in, there's a lot of movement, Elizabeth Warren is moving up. Apparently, his first CNN town hall, I saw a number of headlines saying that he literally enthralled the audience. So he should not be underrated for his political talent. So I agree that he's incredibly talented. I think I'm, I'm a little less clear about where he actually stands on a lot of this stuff. I think he's talented and understands uh, where the environment is. And Robert, you mentioned Bernie has really set this up. And also, where's going to be the oxygen for him in this race with Biden sitting there sucking up? Uh, certainly the center's oxygen. Um, look, his actual record on climate, little less glorious as a lawmaker. Now, admittedly, he's coming from oil-rich Texas, but um, this is someone who uh, did, uh, uh, he's one of few Democrats to vote to lift the ban on oil experts. He backed a Republican bill to, uh, to, to increase natural gas exports, opposed limits on offshore drilling, uh, so 
you know, I think what he actually voted on does show that, you know, he's not perfect. Um, he has come out and supported the Green New Deal. So is that politics or is his record sort of more where where he's at? Um, but again, I do want to say he he's he was a Texas, <laughs> a Texas right. congressperson. But that does show when the pressure's on, right, like when those same moneyed interests or interests within your state uh, pushed on him, you know, he didn't necessarily reveal himself to be, you know, amazing on climate. But And, you know, it's a key question because, you know, on now on drilling in public lands, his position is phenomenal. He says that no drilling at all unless they can actually show that the overall cost, including all the cost of the pollution, is worth it. And so it's a question, you know, FDR was not for the New Deal, his previous career. LBJ was not for civil rights. So, but you have to make this judgment. When we need a lot of politicians to convert on climate who were never good on it before in order to, to succeed in our effort. So Matt, you were asking me absolutely the right question. Do you believe him or not? Yeah. I, can yeah. I just yeah. say, yeah. I know absolutely. we don't have that much time left, that just on his bio, um, he's just a person of tremendous privilege. And, yes. you know, around the same time Elizabeth Warren was dropping out of school to be a young mother, he was a congressional summer intern and he went to an all male boarding school and he was like, I think, co captain of his crew team at Columbia. And, like, you know, the, um, that's not to say he's a good or bad person, but I think it's important to note um, the advantages that he has had and the head start that he has had over some of these other candidates um, is pretty remarkable. Absolutely. I think that's I think that's kind of the the nutshell on, on Beto. Extraordinarily talented politician. Clearly, in many ways, like Obama, has the ability to connect with people, make people feel that his hope and vision is theirs, right? The actual underneath the hood of that, a little less clear, but certainly this is not someone who I would say is like um like a Biden or we'll get to Klobuchar later. Um so I think he's definitely interesting, and and it is worth pointing out he did come out this week, and he's continuing. He's calling for the impeachment of the president, um, which about a third of the presidential Democratic presidential candidates are now doing. So, with that, we will have to wrap up this battleground, Wisconsin, next week in our presidential rolling through the candidates. Who are we going to talk to? Talk about we're going to talk about Joe Biden next week. We're just going to take it on, right? Like we should take it on early. He is clearly the front runner right now. So we'll if if you're one of our listeners who supports Joe Biden, we'd love for you to reach out to us. Re- reach me at matt.bruski at citizenactionwi.org. But we got to wrap it up. We want to thank Brian Woldrich, the birthday boy, for making the show happen again. And uh, we'll see you next week at the Battle of Dallas, Wisconsin.